and thank you for joining us for the Elevation podcast series presented by the Colorado PGA. My name is Holly Champion, and I'm the Colorado PGA's Education Director. This week, we will be elevating our understanding of business improvement thanks to the help of our two guests. I'm joined by our co-host, Andy Hiltz, PGA Master Professional and the owner of Hiltz Golf. Andy is a recognized expert in the business of golf instruction and a leader in the growing field of revenue optimization for golf academies. From 2005 to 2013, Hiltz oversaw teacher training for golf tech, guiding and mentoring more than 2,000 golf tech coaches worldwide. Prior to that, he was a full-time golf coach, giving over 12,000 lessons. Andy was also one of the original members of the Proponent Group and has been a passionate influence on its content and development. Our guest this week is Lauren Anderson, Vice President of Instruction for Golf Channel. Since 2007, Lauren has been focused on helping golf instructors grow their businesses and teaching skills through the Proponent Group as its original founder. In 2017, Proponent Group was sold to Golf Channel to be part of their overall Golf Channel Academy. Before that, Lauren spent a decade as the managing editor for instruction at Golf Magazine. During this time, he wrote more than two dozen cover stories for the publication and created instruction-related editorial franchises such as the Golf Magazine's Top 100 Teachers list, Golf Magazine's Top 25 Golf Schools list, and the World Golf Teachers Hall of Fame. Please enjoy this episode of the Elevation Podcast. Good morning, Lauren Anderson. Thank you for joining us. Andy Hiltz, thank you for joining us again for the Elevation Podcast. Um, Going to talk about how to help our instructors and help businesses in general. Um, Lauren, let's start with you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came across starting the Proponent Group. Yeah, my background is a little over 30 years in the golf industry. Um, beginning of my career was golf media. I actually started at Golf Digest and worked on both the equipment side and the instruction side. And after about six years at Golf Digest, I went over and spent the next decade at Golf Magazine running their instruction programming. And probably what most of your members would know me for is I, I did start the original list of top 100 teachers at Golf Magazine back, hard to believe, 25 years ago, back in 1995. And that is probably my biggest legacy from my time in the media. After about 16, 17 years at the magazines, uh, the print world was kind of imploding and, and a lot of folks unfortunately were losing their jobs and it was it was really a tricky time to stay in, in media. And I had spent a lot of time around these top 100 teachers and every time I was around, they were asking me business questions. They always wanted to know what everybody else was doing. And I kind of realized they were living in this siloed world on the business side and they really weren't getting a lot of help. So when I left the magazine world in 2005 or six, I spent about a year or two consulting top 100 teachers that I knew, helping them with various business issues. And then in 2007, uh, now 13 years ago, I launched what is Proponent Group. And uh, Proponent Group really was a chance to try to provide uh, a level of business knowledge and best practices to golf instructors that really was lacking in the industry. Uh, PJ and the LPG have a lot of our things they have to do for their for their members, and they don't always have time to uh, spend a lot of focus on the business side for uh, for the golf instructors in particular. So that's what I've spent the last 13 years working on. Uh, about six years ago, Golf Channel asked me to come in-house with Proponent Group 
and to also help them build what is uh, Golf Channel Academy, uh, which is a business support uh, network for high-level golf instructors. And I continue to work on, on both of the businesses today for Golf Channel. Uh, the other little thing I would say is my wife, Cheryl, is, is in the business. Uh, a lot of your members know her. She's a, a well-known teacher here in Florida. Uh, and I always saw she wasn't getting much guidance on the business side and was trying to figure it out for herself. Um, so I have a vested interest in how teachers are doing just because I've, I've watched my wife every day for 25 plus years build her business. And I love working with people who have a great passion for what they do. And there's no doubt that golf instructors, they get up every morning and they're excited to go do their jobs and take care of their students. And I like being around people who, who feel that way. So it's, it's been fun to help the coaches with their with their businesses over the years. Very cool to have your own, call it a case study in, in-house. That's neat. Oh, to yes. Me. A continuing case study. <laughs> Never <Yeah>. ends. <laughs> and Andy, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got connected with the proponent group as well. Oh, geez. Lauren called us, uh, Steve Atherton and myself, when we were um, kind of overseeing instruction at Golf Tech when he was first founding the group. And you know, for us, I think the biggest attraction was getting to know more coaches in the industry. And that, I would say from my, from my perspective and my, I guess I was one of the first members of Proponent Group and have been to every single Proponent Group Summit that was ever hosted. And um, I, I loved getting to know other coaches around the country. And that was the piece for me that was probably the coolest thing. I mean, I'll never forget my first, uh, the first uh, summit was in the country, was the country Cup of the Carolinas or something like that. Or it was in North Carolina. And I sat down and, you know, Mike Bender sits down next to me. And, and then, uh, you know, you hear all these great coaches are around me. And I'm, you know, pinching myself going, oh my gosh, I just read this guy's book. And now he's sitting next to me and I get to ask him questions. And that was the piece for me with Proponent Group that was just the coolest. It was, I think in the, in the day and age right now of golf instruction, there was a lot of coaches that, Oh, are unwilling to share maybe, or think that they're the, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they're the only one that gets it. And they're the only, they're the smartest one in the room by far. And you, you go to things online and the forums and you just see all these coaches bickering back and forth, not wanting to help one another. And that to me is you know, because of Lauren's passion. I never had that at proponent group. I never, ever saw coaches unwilling to share Every time I went to an event, it was all about sharing and all about trying to help people play better golf so we can grow this game. And that's, to me, the thing, those, the networking and just the ability to ask questions of any single person in the room and get a straightforward answer are some of the great things about Proponent Group, in, in my opinion, at least. For sure. And that's, I mean, you both speak to knowledge share and talking with other people, learning from other people that do what you do. That was kind of the the motive behind the podcast series and what our education committee is wanting to do moving forward. It's you're not going to learn from somebody way up here that's, you know, teaching down to you because they're the expert. You're going to learn from your neighbors and the other people on the front lines that are doing exactly what you're doing and who are problem solving on the fly. And that's I've, I've heard that multiple times from proponent group is you go into a room and no matter how big the names are in the room, they're just always so incredibly willing to share. And I think that's just such a neat environment and I think every education platform on face of the earth should be that way in my opinion but totally agree. Uh, well we were lucky to have people like Andy jump in early and we had probably the first couple hundred people we signed up the first year every conversation before they'd sign up they'd say well what do you want this to do what do you want this to be and I said we want to help you with your business but it's a collaboration I, I don't have the answers 
you are the guys in the front lines, but you're all in your silo. So if I have 200 guys in 200 silos and women in 200 silos who can all chip in with their ideas and, and collaborate, we were going to we were going to elevate everybody. And that's really what we were able to do for the last 13 years. And Andy was a great example of somebody who came in with that attitude and uh, has always been a leader uh, within the group as, as far as trying to find uh, you know new answers and new ways to do things. And, and I've always appreciated that about Andy. Very cool. Uh, appreciate that. Certainly, it was fun. It was fun for me as a, you know, I guess I'd call myself a no-name instructor. No one knew who I was when I'm, I'm sitting in this room of. You got David Ledbetter in the room, and you got Jim McLean in the room, and you know some of the best speakers I've ever seen. Uh, and best summits I've ever been to have always been proponent group summits. It's just the top of the top in the industry, all willing to share, which is which is awesome. And so, Lauren, expand a little bit on, you know, how the proponent group shares that knowledge. I know I poked around on the website a little bit and have obviously heard of of your summits and and different meetings around the country and things. Um, How do you collect that knowledge and then provide it to all of the members? Yeah, it's, you know, it's um, <clears throat> I have a, a writer out of Boston I've worked with for 30 years. We worked at Golf Digest together, and he does a lot of research for us on specific topics. Uh, we'll write white papers and, and templates and guides for, for the coaches that get put on the website for the members. Uh, we typically send out at least a weekly communication of things that are going on in the industry, uh, updates on things we're working on. Uh, we would have an annual summit, which would be 100 to 150 coaches in the room for two or three days. And one of the things we did about the collaboration side, kind of going back to what Andy was saying, is when we had our summit, we included all the meals. So people went to the sessions together, but they had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together for two and a half days. And they got a chance to talk to everybody, meet everybody. And it was really, uh, when we started doing that 15 years ago, that was kind of unique in the industry. And uh, people always said that they really appreciated the fact that by the time they left one of our bigger events like our summits, they really felt like they'd met everybody in the room and had a chance to converse with them. And um, the, the number of people have been hired because they met somebody at one of our summits or have moved to a new location and gotten a new location because somebody helped them when they moved to the area. Uh, it, it dozens and dozens of those cases. So we know that that was something unique about how we have, uh, you know, help people communicate with each other and, and create those relationships uh, over the years. But it's, it's a lot of outbound best practices. You know, proponent group is best practices. And the one thing we couldn't do with proponent group is we couldn't do the work for you. We could only sort of tell you what we found is the best practices. You still were on the on the hook to do it for yourself. And some did and some didn't. Um, the Golf Channel Academy side, the reason I, I like working with Golf Channel and doing that is we actually have people on staff who are hired by the coaches to do a lot of the marketing communications work and business back office for them. So that's kind of how the Golf Channel piece fit into this the last few years. We can actually go a notch above what Proponent Group does and actually do a lot of the work for the coaches. But Proponent Group is still, in my heart, is what I love the most. Uh, It feels like we're able to help the most people in the most ways. Very good. And I understand that Proponent Group is not just instruction based. You know, you talk swing techniques and things like that, but it's much more of a overall business tactic, overall, you know, between strategy or, um, you know, management practices, asset management, risk management, you know, an overall business plan versus just instruction. Can you both elaborate a little bit on like the business side of, of the whole idea? 
I, yeah. I love your medicine, your medicine analogy, Lauren. is one of my one of my favorites. It's uh, you know, coaches love to geek out on swing stuff and, and all that, but the reality is they really, really need the business help. And even though it's not something that they generally like to talk about, you know, Lauren uses the analogy of uh, it's kind of like taking medicine. Sometimes you got to have a little bit of good, but you know, the things you really like, but you you really need the business help more than anything else. I I think. Yeah, I think, Andy, I'd say a premise behind Proponent Group has always been the concept that the intellectual property of any business is where the value comes from. And I've always believed that golf instructors, especially talented ones who really understand what they're doing, uh, their intellectual property is worth a lot more than what they've probably been getting paid for it. So that's always been the premise of Proponent Group is if we can help them build a better business model, help them figure out their pricing, help them figure out what uh, to offer. Uh, the thing that you, Andy's been incredibly helpful with is training our members on sales uh, and how sales and, and uh, that piece works. That's the kind of stuff where I feel like, okay, I'm not going to tell you. How, we never at Proponent Group have told anybody how to give a golf lesson. We never will. That's just not what we're there for. Now, we'll have David Ledbetter come in or, or McLean or Bender or Martin Hall and talk about golf swing and how they teach it, and that's totally fine. But most of our events are focused on how do you take that intellectual property you've developed as a golf professional and a, and a coach, and how do you leverage that into the best possible career and best possible financial situation for you and your family? And the one thing I always tell PGA members is the, at the end of the day, you're responsible for your kid's college education. You're responsible for your retirement. You're responsible for, you know, all those things. And, you know, you can't spend 100% of your time worrying about swing planes and, and grip positions. You got to spend part of that time thinking about how do you build the strongest possible career and business to protect you and your family going forward. And, and obviously with the virus right now that we're going through, um, a lot of people are stepping back and going, wow, like, yeah, these things on the business side actually do really matter. And, and that's, uh, uh, that's why Proponent Group may be more valuable now than it's ever been. You know, I think that's that's been valuable in, in just conversations with proponent group members over the last few weeks is the surveys that, you know, it's one of the things I think proponent group does a phenomenal job of is surveying the membership and surveying, in some cases, golfers to really get a feel for where golfers heads are at right now. But on the business side, that's there's so much value in, in knowing what other coaches are actually doing uh, and the surveys that you've put together, we've put together over the years are, are still incredibly valuable all the time. And that's, I, I hear it more and more and more every day. Thanks. Well, we, we certainly do the most detailed comp surveys for golf instructors and, and we've been doing a lot of surveying through the, through the pandemic, just trying to understand where everybody's situation is right now. And we're trying to track that on about a 30 day cycle right now. So it's been, I think, very valuable for the coaches that work with us to understand they're not the only one in any specific situation. There's a lot of folks dealing with a lot of different issues right now. Um, but you talk about, you know, Holly risk management. And I think, uh, you know, where proponent group has tried to be at the forefront is reminding people that life can be great right now. Business can be great right now, but you can wake up and things can change overnight. And obviously exhibit one for that is what's happening uh, here in 2020 with uh, the coronavirus. But in my 30 some years in the industry, I mean, I, I went through 9-11. My office was three miles from 9-11 in, in New York City. We saw a huge hit for all the country clubs in New York at the time where my wife was working uh, in 2008, the financial meltdown was was a massive blow for the golf industry because it hit so many white collar uh, jobs. 
Um, my wife worked at a club where a general manager came in and basically fired the entire staff within like two weeks. Uh, we were at a facility here in Orlando where a new owner came in, um, basically wanted to rip up the lease uh, for the academy and start all over and, you know, raise all their rates. And they decided to move across town uh, and had to deal with all that. So just between my wife and I, we've had four or five situations in our career where you have to take a step back and go, are we prepared for this? You know, have we have we put in place the right mix of things to, to protect us. And when we talk about risk management for, for golf professionals uh, and golf instructors, probably in particular, there's a few things that always kind of keep popping up. A lot of people never get a written contract. And I tell people, I don't care if it's a lawyer written contract or just a letter that you and the owner or the, the head pro sign, but you need to have something in writing that explains how your how your deal is structured because you never know when the head pro is going to leave. You never know when a golf course is going to get sold. You never know when the driving range is going to you know change hands. And, and if you don't have anything in writing, you start all over. So that's like an example of risk management, like getting some things in writing making sure if you have a lease for something, you have a really good lawyer go through that lease and make sure it's ironclad and that it covers all possible contingencies. And a lot of people don't take the time to do those things and they, they put themselves at more risk. Um, you know, having proper insurance. Uh, it's amazing how many things will happen over the course of a career where, you know, insurance can become uh, a part of the issue. And a lot of people don't take the time to really understand if they have proper insurance for their business, especially if they own an academy and have teachers working under them. Uh, and then just individually, one of the things like with my wife here in Florida, um, as we've gone through this in the middle of March, normally she would be giving probably 50 percent of her time to out of towners coming into Orlando for golf schools. Spring golf schools is, is really where they make their the bulk of their money in the spring uh, that dried up literally in one week. I mean, we went from a million and a half visitors to Orlando to zero in about seven days. So all the schools went away. And she fortunately has a fairly diverse programming. She teaches a lot of locals. Um, she has a lot of kids she works with. They have some kids that come for the school year and train with them. And even though that piece of the business dried up, she still continued to work and still continued to have, you know, half of her revenue coming in, which was a lot more than a lot of coaches had who were stuck in one very specific uh, segment of the market. So diversification in your programming uh, affects your ability to manage your risk. Uh, and diversification in teaching venues. If you only teach on a driving range or you only teach in a, in a building uh, or an off course, uh, you know, like a golf tech situation where you are indoors all the time, in some states right now, driving ranges are still not open. In other states, you're not going to be able to teach indoors for a while. Uh, and so just the idea of being able to work at both a golf course and indoors or having the ability to do stuff online, all those things are risk management. And a lot of people until this happened this year have never really stepped back and spent a lot of time thinking about if I really am I really in a position where I can adjust and have some flexibility if that's where I have to be. Um, and the other thing I would say very clearly, uh, and proponent group members are generally veterans who have been in the business for quite a while. And I can tell you most of them, over 50% in our first survey at the end of March said they didn't know if they had enough resources to pay their bills for 90 days. Uh, you know, and that's, that's again, one of those things where I would say the golf industry and golf pros struggle because they're around people who are well off and they want to live up to a standard of the people around them. And they end up spending as much or spending more than they earn. And they get themselves in situations where there is no emergency fund. There is no backup plan if things go wrong. And I've I've been very fortunate. My wife is a great saver and she's always you know been able to live under her means as a, as a coach. And 
you know, we, we've never been in a situation where we had to wake up and go, oh, you, you know, we may not be able to pay the rent this month. Um, and, and I just I would implore pros if they learn nothing else out of what's happening right now is you have to spend less than you earn. You just have to find a way to get by on less than you earn and pay yourself first. Pay your pay your retirement fund first each month. Put a little bit of money in that emergency fund. If it's 100 bucks a month, that's better than nothing. But you've got to understand that over the course of a 40 plus year career, there are going to be bad times that go with the good times. And way too many people assume Things are going to stay good, and that's just not the reality of how the world uh, world is. And and uh, if nothing else comes out of this podcast, I hope a few members get more serious about uh, you know spending less than they earn and and creating that emergency funding. What are some other things, Lauren? I know we've seen a lot over my years in Proponent Group. I guess I'll call it a, a lack of loyalty from from country clubs or golf clubs or courses. I don't know if that's the right way to say it or not. But what are other things you think a coach could do to safeguard their facility or where they're at and make sure that they can have a place to say? I mean, obviously, Cheryl has been through the changes when she was in the Met section and new ownership group comes in and you're out. It doesn't matter. What what else can I do as a, as a teaching pro to make sure I'm going to have longevity at a facility? Because that's, I know you've talked, maybe you can talk about this too, not to put too many things on you at once, but yeah, you've, you've talked a lot to me and I, I know a lot of other members about finding your place in the country and making that your home. You can't sit and bounce from place to place to place and really build a sustainable, large clientele. So anyway, those are some things I know you've got thoughts on. Yeah, I mean, in your, in your second question about sort of leveraging your IP, um, your intellectual property is more, worth more when people know about your value. And it's hard to create a long-term value if you're if you're moving from market to market all the time. Um, it's a lot easier to be the, we call him the David Ledbetter of Kansas City uh, or the David Ledbetter of you know Minneapolis uh, as opposed to trying to be the David Ledbetter in four different places because you you create equity in those in those students you have out there who are telling their friends to come and and you're able to market in that area uh, more effectively so if you can stay in one place long term and you can kind of carve yourself out as the top top instructor in that area you're probably going to have a pretty solid business uh, and you're probably going to do pretty well uh, on your other question about you know how do you prove your value when things are changing all the time um, my father taught at the same school for almost 40 years. My mom taught in the same school district for almost 40 years. Um, I don't think they ever got a paycheck outside of maybe one or two places in their whole life. Um, the average person today works in seven different places, uh, seven different businesses, uh, you know, over the course of their career. And I think that's true for golf instructors and golf pros too, is we're seeing people moving around uh, probably more than they used to. And that's for a variety of reasons, some that they choose to and others when they don't choose to. And I think one of the things that golf professionals and, and golf instructors don't always do a good job of, and we, we've harped on this for a long time, but proponent is you have to manage up. You have to be able to tell the people who you report to what value you're creating whether it's tracking incremental spending by your students at the facility or showing memberships that you sell by students who come in. And my wife used to sell a membership every year at one of the clubs in Westchester County she worked at, and they charge a $100,000 initiation fee. I mean, that was somebody that would join the club every year. That was simply somebody who came and found her for lessons. Uh, and that happened almost every year she was there. So, I mean, things like that, you have to be able to explain to your management what value you're really creating. And one of the biggest mistakes golf instructors make still to this day, when golf courses in general are struggling, a lot of courses really, you know, it's, it's a grind out there. 
uh, it's about them. It's not about me and the golf course together, both being successful. It's about the instructor trying to be as successful as they can, and the course will figure out what they have to do to be as successful as they can. And my my point to proponent members is if you have a good open communication with management at your facility, you probably can help each other in a lot of ways. Whether they promote your instruction to their their databases, whether you create programming that adds uh, rounds of golf on the end of the programming so they get out in the golf course and become regulars, whatever it is, there has to be more creativity. And if you're not going to show the facility you work at more value in that way, they're not going to respect you long term. They're not going to have loyalty to you. Um, But people who are proactive and are trying to help the facility do better uh, through the things that they can deliver usually aren't the ones that are getting asked to leave. So there's no one right or wrong way to do that, but it's a communications issue. And I just think a lot of people just don't take the time. And at Proponent Group, we do monthly uh, communication memos and a year-end communication memo that the members can download and use that as a template when they're uh, putting something in writing for their board or, or for their general manager or things like that. And I think that's that's helped a lot of our coaches uh, in situations where they may not have been appreciated otherwise. Yeah, I think the, uh, was it the economic impact calculator as well was one of the forms or templates you created that I know a lot of coaches have benefited from putting some actual numbers on a page. So if you've got an owner that's very numbers conscious, they see the bottom one that you're bringing in. What was the other one too? The, um, this, this, the study that you did, it was a 78% increase in spend by active lessons. Yeah, we had a we have two things we did. We asked the members that that felt comfortable that they could truly track it to figure out what their annual incremental spending was at their facilities from their students. People that were not members of the club, but people who were there using the facilities or buying clubs or doing whatever that was at the behest of the of the instructor. And typically we found about a $75,000 incremental spend at the facility uh, in response to having a good instructor there who was driving those revenues. Uh, we had some bigger academies that were, were documenting very clearly they're bringing $175,000 to $200,000 in incremental spending at their facility for range passes, uh, memberships, uh, you know, F and B. I mean, we had one academy that said they were able to track at least six to eight people a day were eating in the lunchroom who who were hanging out at the academy, and you multiply that by you know 350 days a year, and it's it's significant. So uh, that financial tracking was important, but then we actually tried to figure out. Uh, another way of doing that. And we found some of our coaches who had access to the POS system at their facility. And at eight facilities, we had them go in and they tracked everybody in the in the POS who was a member at the facility who had three or more touches with the instructors during the year. People who took three clinics, three private lessons, whatever it was, but they, we would consider them sort of a regular lesson taker, somebody who, uh, you know, was, was working on their game and getting better. And... The eight different facilities had no idea what the other ones were sending us for data. But what was most fascinating to me was every one of them came back between 50 and like 110% higher spend for regular lesson takers than those who were not uh, taking lessons. And I think intuitively you'd say, well, yeah, that makes sense. They probably are the most active people at the club, right? I mean, if they're taking lessons, working on their game. But it was it was an average of 78% higher spending at the club for, for lesson takers. So when you think about a club that has an okay instructor and 10% of the membership is taking lessons and you replace that instructor with a really good instructor who really fires up the membership about getting better and now 25% are taking lessons, that has a big bottom line effect on the facility. 
And I think a lot of instructors have a hard time communicating that they do bring that kind of value. If they're if they're running good programming and they have the trust and have the relationships with the members, a golf instructor on the front lines all day out there with the members is uh, an incredibly valuable piece of the pie for uh, for a country club and, and a golf facility. That could take a facility from being in the red to being in the black. Absolutely. I mean, it's not that you can single-handedly probably do that, but the reality is if you do it day or day after day, year after year, and you have somebody who's a Pied Piper out there on that tee for 10 years at a club taking care of those members, that club's going to be in a lot better shape in 10 years with that person there than if they didn't have a high-quality golf instruction program. There's no doubt about that. And um, unfortunately, there's not a ton of data in the space we're in. We're trying to get more data. I'm talking to a couple of the big multi-course operators about tracking programs that they have in their POSs, uh, but we haven't gotten there yet. So our data is not... Um it's not that we have tons of data, but the data we do see is very consistent. And uh, there is no doubt that a golf instructor who is doing a really good job at a facility is helping that facility. And I think there's even more instructors can do with the way they do their programming and that that we kind of touched on earlier. But uh, but just as a generality, a high quality instruction program can only benefit uh, any facility that it's based at. Holly, you can't go back to the last time we were together talking with, with, with Pitchford uh, about just tracking things, right? You have to track yes. what you do. If you don't track anything and you just take that 40 bucks cash or whatever you're getting from, you know, from, your, from your lessons, you're not going to show value to the facility, which is huge in just keeping a, keeping your job long term at a place. Well, the, the PGA of America has tried to do a few different things along the same lines, you know, of data tracking and being able to communicate the value that you bring to a facility. You know, they've created revenue scorecards around instruction, around PGA Junior League teams, um, you know, around hosting certain events. When Get Golf Ready was a, was a really popular program, you know, you look at what these people come in and spend. Yes, I can put a price tag on everybody who for PG with PGA Junior League, for example, because I'm very familiar with that program. Um, you know, I can put a $300 price tag on each kid that registers and I can put a price tag on the clubs that they buy or the glove that they purchase when they're in the shop. But trying to get, you know, how many of them brought grandparents out three or four times and grandparents had a glass of wine and some dinner, you know, all of them stay when we were able to, you know, still have full groups in the clubhouse, obviously, um, people would come in and stay for a family dinner after the match, or a lot of your families that were guests coming in as the competing team would stay and have, you know, dinner or at least a beverage. Mom and dad are going to go take something on the golf course with them. They're going to get a souvenir if it's a really nice place that they may not be back to for quite some time. You know, it's, it's a so the trickle lot down of is little amazing. things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is, is is fantastic. And and I remember the number was nine hundred and sixty eight dollars for Get Golf Ready when they when they found out what the spending was per the first twelve months after doing Get Golf Ready. Well, nine hundred sixty eight dollars doesn't sound like a lot, but my wife was doing about six programs a year with I think eight to twelve in a program. You know, you start to bring in 75 new golfers to your facility and a few of those start buying golf clubs and a few start to, you know, buy range passes. And it's, it's, it's a cumulative effect over time. And that's like you have to get the ball rolling and you have to get the flywheel turning. And once it starts turning and you get the programs rolling, it just builds upon itself. And that's where I think a lot of people don't always understand the value that can be created over time when you have these really cool programs. Absolutely. And so through, I mean, through that process, obviously we talked about 
risk management and making sure that you can communicate that value, that intellectual property. I really like what you touched on there as well, because the longer you do something, your intellectual property starts to include things like the relationships that you build with your members, the relationships that you build with your members, guests, even the staff that's there, um, other instructors in the area, your resources. And so I, that's, that I think is a huge part of it too. Um, if you had to put your, your finger on maybe one thing that would help, you know, obviously the goal for every business would be to be quote unquote bomb proof. You know, something happens in the economy. We have a crazy shift in focus. If you could put your finger on maybe one major thing that everybody could take away today that would make their business get closer to bomb proof, what would that be? You know, I think it comes down to professional flexibility. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with diversification of programming, diversification of where you deliver the programming, um, you know, having adequate capital so you can invest when you need to invest in your business. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's unfortunate that in every profession, this is not just golf professionals, but golf professionals certainly are guilty of it. They kind of get to a certain point where it's kind of like, ah, I got to figure it out. I'm making as much as I thought I was ever going to make. And my members and students seem happy. And, I, you know, I don't need to go to certifications. I don't need to be investing in my uh, you know, career anymore uh, or buying technologies or whatever. And I, and I think uh, that's the biggest mistake people make. If you really want to bomb proof your business, you got to be flexible. You got to be looking around the corner a little bit, which is what Proponent Group tries to do. We try to peer around the corner and see what's coming next. And then how do you prepare for what's coming next? And uh, and that's really would be my my biggest piece of advice. There's no one way to do that. I mean, everybody's in a little different situation, but um, you you got you got to get away from the idea that I know enough and I can just keep doing what I'm doing. Because once you start going into that trap, you're going to find yourself in trouble down the road. So, changing gears a little bit, um, you know, obviously looking at the whole business picture, um, you talked about putting down roots somewhere. You know, it's easier to create a more successful business maybe or create those relationships if you do stay in one spot versus trying to bounce around and, and really chase the carrot at the end of the pole. Um, some of that could come with things like, you know, putting in a teaching building somewhere and creating a little bit more of a nest of assets at a property. What does, what is your take on, you know, what professionals could do what academies can do in terms of asset management? Yeah, I mean, uh, asset management can kind of go down a couple of different pathways, uh, honestly, Holly. I mean, most people think of themselves as independent. They're taking care of their own business. They're not looking to hire a bunch of instructors or have a building that they own or those sorts of things. So for those who are are one-off instructors who are just operating, um, you know, as sole proprietors, let's say, Investment to me is is the IP, right? You're always trying to improve your IP. You're always trying to make sure you're up on what's going on out there. Um, one of the things my wife always says is she likes to go to certification programs, not necessarily because she wants to teach that way, but her students come to her from all over the country and they ask her about different programs and she wants to understand how all these other key programs out there and, and methodologies function. So one of her investments is that she knows when she has people coming up in front of her, no matter what tech or what uh, methodologies they ask her about, she's going to have a pretty good grounding in those things. And that's one of the ways she manages her uh, sort of IP assets. Um, technology, you know, Andy and I have had this conversation for for years. 
I felt like the last 10 to 12 years was really the decade uh, about uh, a teaching technology arms race. You know, we saw 15 years ago, there's not a teacher in America who would have said they were going to write a $25,000 check for anything related to their careers. And now we know that thousands of golf pros have written $25,000 checks for their track man. Um, and now they're writing checks for force plates and then for putting labs and for $1,500 iPhones with amazing cameras on them. And uh, that we've kind of gotten to a point now where it seems like it's a bit saturated. Like the track man gets better every year, but it doesn't get doubly better. And, and force plates don't get doubly better and phones don't get doubly better. So, so it feels like the technology race, like what you need to have great diagnostic tools for a golf instructor um, exists. They have that. And they can keep adjusting and, and incrementally getting better, but we pretty much know how that side of the world or the side of the business is gonna is gonna operate. Now the question becomes, what was my return on investment on all these things? Okay, maybe I gave better lessons, maybe my, my students are more comfortable with the information I'm giving them because I can prove things to them through the diagnostic tools, but did I really build a better business? And Andy and I have been talking about this for a long time, like the next decade, I believe for instructors is going to be about building a strong business. And I think the virus makes that even more critical now because people are realizing they didn't really have strong businesses when this happened. So that's kind of the shift I see on asset management is the asset is going away from diagnostic tools and just getting certified in as many things as you can as an instructor to actually investing in sales training, the kind of things that Andy does and does incredibly successful with coaches. And if you want to return on investment, I will tell you flat out that if you spend the same amount of money with Andy as you spent on on these diagnostic tools, your business will make more money after spending the time with Andy and, and learning that side of it because there's just more power there on the return on the investment side. Um, so I, that's why I think it's going to go on asset management is that the asset that hasn't been managed well is, is the business functions of being a high quality uh, instructor. And, and uh, there's a big opportunity there. There's a lot of things besides sales training, marketing and understanding social media and understanding, um, you know, a lot of opportunities to to just be um, more visible in your community and more visible uh, with your programming that a lot of pros just never really figured out how to how to pursue. And we're going to try to help them do that. And you bring up a good point there at the end that, you know, learning things and the knowledge that you can build up of things like social media, things like marketing, things like sales training, you know, those are not tangible assets. Those are not something that I can go, like you said, write a check for. And now I have a cute little orange and gray unit that sits at the end of my bay and takes really cool pictures. Um, those things are great. And I, I'm a person who really likes technology and, and likes to have the latest and greatest. Um, but those intangible assets that you can help help build within yourself and within your business, I think you bring up an excellent point that that's probably where this is really going is the knowledge share and the knowledge that you can build up as an individual. Again, kind of goes back to speaking to your intellectual property and the intellectual value that you can bring to, you know, to another thing is you are potentially your greatest asset. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's be honest. 
25 years ago, if you decided to become a golf instructor, basically your assets were what were between your two ears and your staff bag with your name on it, right? I mean, that's all you had. I mean, if you showed up with a couple of alignment sticks and a couple of training aids and away you went. Now it's a lot more complicated. You know, you, people feel like, well, I've got to have the diagnostic tools and I've got to be in a teaching building and I've got to uh, have a logo. And, you know, I mean, which is great. Like it is more professional that way. And, and it, it can have a great return on investment, all those pieces. I mean, a teaching building, if you can go someplace and pay some rent to be in a teaching building where you never have to cancel a lesson, there's a return on investment for that. There's no doubt you're making more money if you don't have to cancel 50 lessons a year because it's raining. Uh, I mean, those kinds of things all factor into building a stronger business, but but you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's between the left ear and the right ear where, where most of your business uh, assets are gonna always exist, whether it's understanding how to build your business or understanding how to give a better golf lesson. And that's the reality of being a golf instructor. You mentioned the teaching buildings, Lauren. That's I think one of the things I know proponent group members have had uh, a, a lot of help from proponent group is the library of images you've put together from the teaching buildings and just the surveys that you've done about teaching buildings as well. It's, I know there's a, a ton of country clubs right now that are certainly trying to go down that path of building more amenities and keeping their members on property more You know, with simulators going in. And that teaching building to me is probably one of the greatest benefits or the, I should say the whole library of things that you've put together uh, for golf coaches to, to, to utilize, you know? Well, parallel to all of the technology being purchased, that technology basically allowed teaching buildings to do what they need to do. You know, uh, for, if you're up in the Northeast, up until a few years ago, a teaching building at a high-end private club was sticking a net up in the locker room in the wintertime, right? Well, now, now you've got track mans in the bays, you've got the force plates, you've got the screens up. I mean, it's in the middle of summer, the members would prefer to take a lesson in the teaching building as opposed to on the range right right next door uh, because it's such a great experience. So um, all this technology has probably pushed the ability for clubs to justify spending money on teaching buildings that they maybe wouldn't have justified 20 years ago at the same level. And, you know, for instructors, again, it professionalizes the business, right? Um, I'm standing on a tee with my staff bag with my name on it and a couple training aids, or I'm in a I'm in a half million dollar building with $150,000 worth of technology. Which one is more impressive to a to a member who maybe hasn't taken a lesson before? And we know that the number of people or the 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 lesson volume goes up about 30% the first year at a club after you open up a teaching building. So, I mean, there's there's absolutely an ROI over time uh, on those investments, uh, the physical investments, too. Hopefully, the teacher's not paying for the teaching building, and, and hopefully, um, you know, it's just part of, of the facility they're working at, because it doesn't really work out to invest a half million dollars to, to build your own teaching building if you're a sole proprietor, necessarily, but... For a, for a club that can do it, there's a there's a big ROI on engaging the membership in instruction. And when people are engaged in instruction, their games are getting better. They're not leaving the club. Their families are using the facilities and they're spending more money in the golf shop, et cetera. So, you know, we're, we're big on the on the idea that teaching buildings are very beneficial for the facility and that obviously the instructor has great benefit from it, too. Absolutely. Um, Holly, I'd love to have Lauren talk a little more about lists. It's probably the, uh, I know a question that he gets asked probably more than he, like, he cares to talk about, but it's, it, it's, I think so many coaches out there 
really believe the only way that they're going to be successful is to get on a list. I've got to be best in state. I've got to be a top 100 teacher. Like that's, I know me personally, it was certainly as a life goal of mine to get on that list and be recognized across the country as as one of the best in the country. So I don't know if you have any advice for, I'm a young coach trying to build my career and geez, I got to get on the best in state in Colorado. How do I do that? Yeah. Um, let me just as a quick background. When we started this 25 years ago, the idea really honestly came out of the fact that Golf Digest had more money than Golf Magazine, and they could sign David Ledbetter and Butch Harmon, and like the top five or six guys were under big contracts with Golf Digest. And my boss said, how do we compete with that? And I said, well, if we name the top 100 teachers in America and six or seven of them work for Golf Digest, that gives us 93 people who are probably going to be pretty loyal to working with Golf Magazine and are going to want to help us create content. Said, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? So um, we kind of lucked out. We kind of stumbled into running into a guy named Dr. Paul Shemp from the University of Georgia, who ran the only lab in the country that basically trains um, or studies how sports are taught. They study Olympic diving coaches and football coaches and tennis coaches, and they were really interested in the golf world because they knew there's a lot of people that coach golf. So we started working with them. They helped us with questionnaires, and he had a team of people at the University of Georgia who would review the uh, the applications, and we'd have six, 700 applications that would come in. And they're pretty detailed and they would spend a summer and go through that. So we we would use their advice on very specific things that they looked for in people as teachers and coaches that they knew were qualities and traits of people who were usually very good coaches. And that would whittle it down to what ended up being the final list of 100. So that's kind of how we started. Now, the lists are a little different these days. So so everybody has to do their list differently. So Golf Digest got into the mix with best in state and got in the mix with top 50 rather than top 100. They do it as a peer vote. It's a little uh, different. It's a little tricky because I, I, I do believe that when you send out a, a, a ballot to 50 coaches in Colorado to pick the best coaches in Colorado, most of the people who are voting on that ballot probably have not seen the other coaches give a golf lesson. They may not know a whole lot about the people on that on that ballot. So I think it's a little tricky to, to go that route, but Digest has done it now for about 20 years that way. Um, they continue to go that route. And I think their list probably gets better every time just because over time you, you learn more about the people who are on the ballot and uh, people bubble up to the top. But, um, you know, again, it's, you got to be on the ballot. If you're not on the ballot and you feel that you should be on the ballot, um, you can send a you know teaching resume to uh, Matt Rudy at Golf Digest. He runs the program, and uh, often they'll they'll add people to the ballot, um, you know, and, and see what happens. If you don't get, I think five or ten percent of the vote, they take you off the ballot the next cycle. So people go, oh yeah, I was on the ballot, no, I'm not on the ballot. Well, you just may not have gotten any votes last time around. That doesn't mean you're a bad teacher. It just means that maybe the people in your area haven't seen you teach, or you don't speak at section events, or you're not very visible. So what I always tell people, whether it's Golf Magazine or Golf Digest or a Colorado golfer or whatever it is that's doing a list, visibility matters. And one of the best ways to be visible is to be on the education committee at the section, to speak at section teaching events, um, you know, to be visible. And and honestly, there's no there's no one right or wrong way to get on a list. But if nobody knows what you're doing, if nobody knows you personally, it's going to be pretty hard to, to show up on these lists. The people who make the list are people who put themselves out there, who speak in front of their peers and uh, who try to be leaders in the industry. And, and maybe they're not the best 100 teachers, but they're certainly among the leaders 
uh, of the teaching community. And I think there's nothing wrong with those people being uh, singled out and, and given a little bit of a platform. So, uh, But the original plan 25 years ago was really for content. We were looking for high-quality teachers, identify them, and then have them provide content to the magazine. And they did. I mean, we... The first 10 years uh, after we started the program, we probably ran 4,000 pages of instruction uh, from golf uh, instructors on the list. So it was a great success for us. And we did for a lot less cost than Golf Digest was paying the, the few teachers that they had under contract. So my boss was happy about that too. And that 25 years later, it's still going. Going strong. Wow. So I've had one good idea in my career. So another 30 years, I'm hoping for a second good idea. <laughs> I think there's more than one in there, but I, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably are full of a few more ideas than that. So that's really neat. Um, well, to kind of close out our conversation on, you know, business, we've talked about risk management, asset management, um, you know, the value of your intellectual property and things like that. Lauren, kind of a closing piece of advice for everybody who would listen to this episode is we've talked about a lot of things that could take a really good business to a great one. If you could close out, you know, with a statement or a list of things, um, since I know you kind of have a affinity for lists, um, what would that be to take a good business to a great one? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at, um, what I would consider a great business. And I, I think about that from the consumer side more so than maybe the financial side, although the really great businesses are, are both great on the consumer side and also are financially very viable. Um, but I think it kind of goes back to something we've talked about at Proponent Group for many, many years. You know, it's not the strongest, it's not the most intelligent, it's the one who's most responsive to change, who, who survives and, and does well. And I think, um, you know, over time, you have to be able to make those pivots as the business and the industry changes. But on a day-to-day -day level, it's about consistency. If you look at brands that are consistent, deliver the same product every day at the highest quality that they can, those are the brands that really become great businesses. And that's the, you know, the Starbucks of the world and the Cracker Barrels and the Apple stores. And, you know, in the, in the, in the hotel world, Hampton Inn is, is as solid a brand as the Four Seasons is. I mean, they both deliver the same product every day consistently. And, and that's what really a, a building a great business is about. And I think instructors, you know, it's a consistency and attention to detail. It's really about, uh, you know, building a trust with the student and the golfer. And I, I, the words I always use around the office are, are we doing the blocking and tackling we need to do? You know, are we updating the databases continually? Are we returning all the messages promptly? Um, because golf instructors are on the tee all day and then they get to, you know, nine o'clock at night and they're trying to run their business. They don't return the messages and people get frustrated. Um, you know, are the, are the post-lesson videos getting posted the same day to, their, uh, to the student's account? Uh, is the messaging consistent on social media about about the instructor? I mean, all those things, if you do it, the blocking and tackling every day consistently, you go from good to great. And that's really what everybody wants to do. And, and you know, it's, it's having an idea of what's possible, right? And, and understanding that you have to have some kind of a loose roadmap that's always pushing you to get better at what you do while delivering on the promise, you know, the brand promise that you've made. And that brand promise is that expectation. And when I go to McDonald's, I don't expect a $15, you know, Shake Shack hamburger, but if McDonald's delivers me that $2.50 hamburger, because I'm hungry for that right now in a small fries, 
McDonald's did their job. I'm happy to give them their, my money and their brand is as strong as it can be. So it's not about necessarily being the guy who makes the most money teaching or makes the most money in any business. It's about creating that consistent brand. It's there every day and delivers what you say you're going to deliver. And, and that's going to turn you into a great, uh, a great teaching operation. Yep. I'd say if anybody who's looking to succeed in this business, Hollywood, join Proponent Group. <laughs> I'd love to have them. Happy to have them. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, and Andy's worked so closely with me on this. Um, you know, we had him on board uh, for quite some time helping us manage the business. And uh, I would just say this about Andy. We, you know, we had hundreds and hundreds of coaches we work with, but Andy's uh, combination of teaching background, what he did helping build golf tech, his interest just in business in general uh, is fairly unique. And I wish I wish more instructors had that same innate uh, interest in the business side, because I think for Andy, it's, it's served him incredibly well. And, and it serves anyone in this industry incredibly well because it's on you. It's your business. And if you're not interested in building your business, nobody's going to do it for you. So uh, that's what I've always loved about being around Andy is he's got that same passion I do about it. Appreciate that. Fantastic. Andy, anything you would like to add for, you know, taking a good business to great? Cool. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> a, lot, I mean, a lot of the things in there, right? It's like the consistency, right? I think that's a, a huge one. Um, you know, passion, I think, is is probably one of the biggest ones as well. That's, uh, from my perspective, I think what's made Proponent Group successful is, is Lauren's passion to help golf coaches. And if you have passion um, behind what you're doing, I think you're going to drive a lot of success. I know, you know, when I first joined Golf Tech, I had a real passion to teach great golf lessons. And, and as time went on, I had a really strong passion to help train golf coaches to the best of my ability to get them to teach great golf lessons. And that's, to me, it's, it's that passion that fuels the fire. I think it's that Simon, that Simon Sinek thing. You know, what's your, what's your why? I think it was, it was the video, you know, why do you do this? You know, I want to, I want to do this to, to grow golf and, and, and keep this business going and, and introduce other people to a sport that's been incredibly impactful in my life. So passion. You know, Andy, I, I would just add to that in closing that, um, as I mentioned at the very beginning, that's why I still love working with golf instructors 30 years later, because they have such a passion for what they do in general. Um, golf pros, all golf pros have a passion for being around the game and, and helping people. And uh, it makes it a lot of fun. And I, and I think, you know, sometimes we get a little jaded because we're so close to this game. But if you step back and you remember why you took up the game as a kid, why you became part of golf, and I mean, I, I wake up every day appreciative of the fact that every paycheck I've made as a professional in my life has come from the game of golf. And I've been around it since I was nine or 10 years old. Um, you, you can't even measure the effect it's had on, on my life. Uh, my, my wife being in the business, too, it's uh, uh, it's been an extraordinary opportunity. And, and I, I'll tell you, as this virus situation goes on. Uh, it is extremely gratifying to see that golf is taking a leadership role in us coming out of this. Mm -hmm. I think we should all be incredibly thankful that that um, you know the game innately is is a safe uh, activity, and um, you know I, I see great things ahead for golf. Golf is in a really interesting place right now with all this craziness, but we're going to come out of this in a good place. Hopefully, we get better at running our businesses, and uh, you know, as this thing goes forward, uh, you know, hopefully, we'll be stronger than we were coming into it. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Lauren. I, I played yesterday, and the place was absolutely packed on a, on a Thursday afternoon, which is fantastic. It was love, love to see it, and uh, hopefully, we golf begins to make that turn in the right direction versus the steady drip from the bucket and the steady decline that we've seen. 
Well, and just going out at night, we have a little loop at our course and we just carry our bags and my wife and my daughter and I walk three or four or five holes and it's just really peaceful and enjoyable. I kind of feel like I'm 10 years old again and I haven't felt that way in a golf course in a long time. And it's fantastic. I mean, it really reminds you after all these years, why we all do what we do and yeah. why we like being around this. And I, and I hope other pros are having that same feeling and getting a chance to kind of step back and, and remind themselves why golf is, is such an important part of their world and, and, and their life every day. Totally. I had the same experience with Charlie and Mikey the other day. We took a little nine hole out at South Suburban, a little nine hole par three. And as we're finishing up, Mikey said, Dad, can we do this every night? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, that, that's where you want to be, right? That, that's the sweet spot right there. <laughs> totally. Lauren Anderson, thank you very much for joining us for the Elevation Podcast. Andy Hiltz, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Thanks. Stay cool in Florida.